Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the prairies are dry. And while some farmers are dealing with this drought for the first year, several ranchers have been struggling through these conditions for a number of years now. Tamara Carter is the president of the Saskatchewan Forage Council and farms near Lacadena. She'll talk about how they're coping on her farm and why it's more important than ever for farmers and ranchers to support each other. The Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, or Vito Intervac, as is known, is pursuing two options for protecting pigs from the ravages of African swine fever. ASF is not present in North America, but it continues to spread in Europe and Asia. Dr. Andrew Van Kessel, the Associate Director of Research with Vito Intervac, says the virus is complex, making vaccine development challenging. After the break, Tamara Carter. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Tamara Carter is the president of the Saskatchewan Forage Council. And we're going to be talking about the Saskatchewan government's recent announcement with some help for uh, livestock and crop producers with the dry conditions and uh, and a whole bunch of other things today. So, Tamara, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, maybe just so that people can learn a little bit more about you, tell us about your uh, farming and ranching operation. We ranch along the South Saskatchewan River near Lake Diefenbaker, and uh, we're a mixed operation. So we farm about 6,000 acres of various cash crops, and uh, we also run a commercial Black Angus cattle herd on about 7,000 acres of beautiful, albeit hustle dry, native pasture. Great. And how many head? Uh, we're at about 250 right now. Tamara, so uh, you're obviously, you're close to a water source, uh, but I guess let's start with what conditions are like uh, for you in, in that area there. It's very dry, Alice. Um, we've had about a half an inch of rain. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to check the calendar three, three, four weeks ago. Um, so the crops are very stressed. The grasslands are very stressed. The hay crop is virtually non-existent. Uh, we're not even cutting our, our hay because there's so little there. So it is, it's dire. It really is. When you're faced with this situation, and uh, I know that everybody's kind of looking at the long-range forecast and hoping to see something, and it just doesn't appear to be uh, developing, where are you at right now as far as strategies to to deal with that? Yeah, good question. Um, really, we, we always try to have a bit of stockpiled pastures. And through the last few years, we've been a little bit more strategic with that in terms of always having uh, something that hasn't been grazed for for several years so we can rotate the animals through there. Um, And and that's really what we're relying on right now. One of the pastures that we have not had grazed for a number of years is, is where we've moved the animals to. Do you have any irrigation? No. Tamara, so the government uh, made an announcement. Uh, There was uh, a few points that were made with regards to, I guess, working uh, collaboratively with livestock producers and crop producers, which I guess you are in that situation where you have both. First of all, your impressions of uh, what David Merritt announced yesterday. 
Well, I was really happy to hear that um, there will be some support to both, uh, well, particularly livestock producers in terms of getting some some access to crops that may not be finishing as crops and, and be able to swath or bale or, or graze them. And also the water component, you know, the additional help with the farm and ranch water uh, for whip for uh, infrastructure program is going to help. There, there's a lot of demand right now for water as well. Looking further down the road, is do you see anything else that the government could be doing? I know they've made it very clear that they're they're not interested in ad hoc programs. They kind of want to work with what is there right now. But in your position as uh, as a farmer, rancher, and with the Forage Council, do you think there are other things the government should be considering? I'm not as involved. Like Forage Council, we really don't do a lot of the the lobbying. You know, on like um, SCA or stock growers or APAS. Uh, so I, I am reluctant on behalf of Forage Council to to make statements like that. But I, I can say, you know, we are really pleased that Minister Merritt has responded. We're pleased to to see that there's a couple different things that they're looking at. Um, tax deferrals uh, are always helpful too in terms of producers that make the decision, unfortunately, to to have to sell their animals because they have no hay um, cut and baled for winter. They've got nothing stockpiled, and they're backed into that uh, really disgusting, unfortunate spot where you're forced to to liquidate your herd or a good part of it. So some sort of um, uh, tax incentive to to give a bit of a break to producers that get back into that corner and have to make that tough decision is is also helpful. But I, I, I really appreciate the the way that the the government has looked at several different components, not just the feed, but also acknowledging how important water access and supplies right now, and uh, goats are drying up. Um, producers, producers are stressed. Like we're all really, really stressed. Even those of us that have um, native pasture, which is super resilient, um, and have stockpiled and and sort of planned to always have a a backup when you have this many years of successive drought you get to the point sometimes where you've exhausted every one of your plans Uh, you're you're now on plan e and uh, it's starting to look a little scary i'm in the northeast and uh you know we traditionally are pretty set for moisture and it's dry Mm -hmm. it's dry everywhere but how many years have you been dealing with this now Alice, we had drought in 2015. Um, 2016 was really weird. It was 26 inches of rain, so we were like double our, our normal precipitation, so everything was underwater. And then after that, again, it's just really been quite consistent drought, particularly in the little pocket where we're in, you know, between Kyle and, and Plato and Eston. It's, it's been very, very dry here. You mentioned the stress, and um, obviously when you've been dealing with this for for numerous years, a lot of concern about the mental health of producers in normal mm-hmm. times. Um, how, how do you manage? How do you cope? And, and if you have some advice for, for other producers that are obviously in the same boat and, and struggling as well. I, I really just think we have to come together whenever we can, where we're able, and thank heavens now with some um, you know, COVID restrictions lifting a bit. Uh, at least sometimes we can uh, rely on each other. Other producers that understand the struggles and problems that are specific to our industry. So having that support network, um, really, it, it, it's tricky. I, I'm 
at a point where I'm even uh, all of our best uh, efforts, self-care and, and getting some exercise and yoga. Whew. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for sure. Yeah. And checking in on each other. I think that's always been something that uh, in rural mm-hmm. communities we've been really good at, but maybe even more important now. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Alice. And I, I, I think that's an advantage that we have, at least in rural communities. You know, we, uh, we'll we be out checking our cattle and we might see our producer or neighbor friends uh, across the way and um, notice that maybe their animals are getting a little low on feed or, uh, you know, they're, they're struggling and, and checking in to make sure that uh, they're okay, that they're... Um, you know they're they're tending to their their own health first because when we notice their animals might be struggling or in poorer health, uh, getting a little thin, um, sometimes you're right. That's an early indication that the the rancher himself is under a lot of stress or herself and uh, isn't able to to put the the energy into prioritizing the the animal care the way they they used to. Tamara, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. So we'll send prayers and positive thoughts for for rain to come and come soon. And that was Tamara Carter, the president of the Saskatchewan Forage Council. And Tamara also has a ranch in the Lake Diefenbaker area. After the break, Dr. Andrew Van Kessel with the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization will be telling us about the efforts to create a vaccine against African swine fever. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Andrew Van Kessel is the Associate Director of Research with the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization. We're talking about vaccine development for African swine fever. First of all, Andrew, there are some very serious uh, animal health implications with ASF. Maybe you could talk about that and uh, maybe some of the economic implications as well. Yeah, African swine fever, of course, is uh, is well uh, well known, I think, to the Canadian swine industry. It's a... Uh, it's a viral infection of pigs that is relatively slowly transmitted, but is uh, uh, is uh, is highly devastating in terms of uh, its uh, its impact on, on mortality. is is nearly 100% uh, uh, more uh, fatal in terms of the infection. Um, so, of course, there's a uh, a concern in terms of the impact of this disease as it transmits through the herd in terms of uh, the performance and, and health of animals. Uh, but certainly in Canada, as, as we're, we're all well aware, uh, this is an OIE reportable disease, uh, and should uh, the disease is, is 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 not present in North America at present, and should it arrive in Canada, uh, the impact would be uh, devastating, primarily from a closure of borders to international trade, uh, and the uh, the implications that has, given that uh, in Canada we sell two of every three hogs at least on an international market, uh, and uh, the impact that would have on on the swine business would be uh, certainly devastating. How long has uh, the the efforts been um, continuing as far as developing a vaccine for African swine fever, and really what prompted uh, this work? 
The effort was uh, was prompted, of course, by uh, the threat that, that ASF uh, represents to the Canadian industry, to the global industry, and uh, uh, and its recent spread uh, through uh, from Eastern Europe uh, towards uh, Central Europe and uh, and certainly in Asia. Uh, and as we know, the uh, significant trade and uh, movement of trade and people uh, around the world these days, as the pandemic has shown us, um, uh, means that, uh, that there is uh, ongoing threat to, uh, to North America in terms of the potential for this disease to arrive on, on our shores. Um, and of course, uh, uh, the Canadian government, the swine industry has, has moved uh, quickly to uh, put controls in place to, uh, to manage that. Uh, and uh, and so far we've been been very successful. Um, Vito, uh, and again, Vito's interest is because this is a problem that's of concern in the uh, into the swine industry. Uh, and of course, Vito's uh, primary focus is uh, infectious disease control. Um, of course, ASF uh, as a reportable disease. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, we were initially unable to work with this virus because we did not have uh, uh, federal approval to do so. Uh, and so the first step was, in fact, to obtain uh, federal approval to be able to work with the virus in our high containment, level three high containment facility here at Vito. Uh, and that approval came through uh, just a bit more than a year ago. Um, uh, we were able to get uh, CFIA approval to work uh, in our facility, and obviously that required demonstrating to them that we had the expertise and the containment facilities that allowed us to do that safely. Uh, and so, um, and so, being able to bring the virus in then allowed us to begin to to work with it. Uh, over the last year and a half. Now, of course, uh, Vito not only focuses on the uh, animal health side, but also the human health side in a, in a One Health environment. And of course, in the last uh, year, our, our efforts have been very much focused uh, on uh, SARS-CoV-2 and, and developing a vaccine uh, for SARS, as well as uh, uh, is helping other Canadian companies, Canadian institutions, and international institutes, institutions assess their own uh, strategies for control of this disease. So um, there has been some interruption in the work that we've done with respect to ASF, um, but uh, we've been able to, uh, in, in recent months, then restart that work and, uh, and are working with the virus again. Developing any kind of a vaccine is a complex process, but what are the specific challenges with creating a vaccine for African swine fever? Well, the, the, the primary challenges are that this is an extremely complicated virus. Um, uh, it's a virus with a large genome, like 160 genes, which is quite unusual, uh, quite large in, in terms of the uh, viral world. Um, and uh, and developing a vaccine uh, that A, is capable of uh, protecting against infection and B, uh, particularly in North American markets where the virus has not yet arrived, if we're going to use a vaccine strategy, we definitely need to be able to differentiate a vaccinated animal from an infected animal. So a vaccine needs to be, uh, needs to have that capability. Um, so, so that's certainly one challenge. Another challenge is that right now, growing the virus, 
requires us to harvest cells from pigs and grow those pigs, uh, you know, primary cells from pig lung, pig macrophages, in fact, uh, and um, uh, and and grow them in the laboratory. And of course. Uh, that 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 effort of having to go to a pig, harvest cells, go to the lab, attempt to grow the uh, the virus, and vice versa, um, is uh, is a difficult one. So one of the primary challenges is to establish cell lines that allow us to grow the virus and and grow it in such a way in vitro in the laboratory that we can work with it, study it, and so that it doesn't change uh, its uh, structure from the the natural virus that is infecting pigs. Can you talk to us about the specific approaches that Vito Intervact is taking in this process? We're, we're really taking two, or we're really looking forward, I guess, to two approaches to this disease. We are certainly looking, um, we have a tremendous amount of experience in, in uh, viral vectored uh, vaccines. Uh, we have tremendous amount of experience, particularly with uh, adenovirus vectored vaccines, and the, the audience will be familiar with those with, the, uh, with respect to the uh, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccine approaches. So we are investigating uh, adenovirus as a means of delivering uh, some of the genes or a gene from ASF uh, to the pig uh, and the expression of those genes via the uh, adenovirus uh, vector um, uh, within the vaccinated animal would result in an immune response that would then protect the pig against ASF. That kind of approach then is very amenable to a, um, a DIVA approach, and uh, a vaccine that is uh, DIVA means uh, differentiated, uh, uh, of an approach that allows us to differentiate a vaccinated animal from an infected animal um, because we're only delivering uh, a gene or potentially a couple of genes from the actual virus to the pig using this adenovector. Uh, the other approach that we are looking at and, and plan to look at in the future is uh, is an antiviral approach. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the vaccine approach has certainly been a challenge. Uh, again, a large genome, identifying the genes and that are would provide protection and providing them in a way that, uh, uh, that produces protection is going to be a challenge. So a two-pronged approach seems prudent. And we're, so we're also looking at an antiviral approach. And can we identify compounds that might be um, administered to the pig, uh, preferentially administered via the water, for example, um, that, would, uh, that would be effective against preventing viral replication within cells and, and protect pigs in very much the same kind of a, a way that uh, a vaccine would. So it's a two-pronged approach that we're looking at currently. Any time frames, any ideas when a vaccine might be available? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, uh, research is, uh, is an ongoing process, uh, and, um, and this virus certainly provides a tremendous number of challenges. So, again, we continue to, to work. Uh, the two-pronged approach that we're, uh, we're looking at is one that will hopefully get us to, to a solution the quickest. Uh, and it would be very difficult to put uh, a date or a time frame on that at this point. Dr. Andrew Van Kessel is with the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization. 
It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for the week of July 12, 2021. The Saskatchewan government announced steps to help producers facing shortages of livestock feed and water due to the dry conditions. Ag Minister David Merritt says he's asking Ottawa to implement a tax deferral on livestock sales. He said the Crop Insurance Corporation will ensure damaged crops can be put to an alternate use for livestock feed. He also announced the maximum funding for farm and ranch water infrastructure for dugouts, wells and pipelines and adds the rebate for digging wells, dugouts and pipelines is being raised significantly from the maximum of $50,000 limit. He recommended producers check with ministry officials on feed strategies and water testing and to reach out to their neighbours. Customers are asked to contact their local crop insurance office before they graze, bale or silage any damaged crops to discuss their options. The dry weather, of course, is causing a concern right across the prairies. It prompted the Alberta beef producers to ask for drought relief. The group asked farmers and ranchers who are experiencing significant impacts due to extremely dry or drought conditions to contact their municipality and urge them to declare a municipal agricultural disaster. ABP Chair Melanie Woke says there are concerns over limited feed resources, access to quality water, and that has producers struggling to maintain their herd sizes. Federal, provincial and territorial agriculture ministers met by video conference to address several issues, including the dry conditions. There is concern for farmers and workers dealing with the current heat waves, wildfires and drought in Western Canada and other regions of the country. Other topics discussed include the next agricultural policy framework, which expires March 31, 2023, the threat posed by African swine fever, and potential long-term improvements to business risk management programs. The discussion is a lead-up to the Agriculture Minister's meeting scheduled for September in Guelph, Ontario. A Winnipeg-based company will purchase a U.S. Durham flour and semolina miller. Richardson International will buy 100% of the shares of Ital Granny of USA, which includes a mill, elevator and barge loading facility in St. Louis, three grain elevators in northwest North Dakota, and a commodity trading desk in Minneapolis. The three North Dakota elevators are within a 60 to 90 minute drive from locations in southeast Saskatchewan and southwest Manitoba. The plant can process roughly 1,800 tons of Durham daily. Western Canadian wheat growers are upset the federal government refused to immediately implement the bill that removes an unfair tax burden that farmers face when transferring their farm to a family member. Without the legislation, the growers said it would cost owners hundreds of thousands of dollars to sell to their son or daughter. It is actually more profitable to sell to an outside corporation than to a family member. The University of Saskatchewan created a new Beef Industry Integrated Forage Management and Utilization Research Chair. The person selected for the position will be tasked with synchronizing the study of soils, plants, animals, economics and ecosystems. Beef Cattle Research Council Chair Matt Bowman said the research chair will address concerns raised for a number of years by producers searching for expanded forage management information. 
He said the position would be filled before the end of 2021. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.